Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Truth and Movies. Today... Charlize Theron returns to the Jason Reitman Diablo Cody cinematic universe for the parental dramedy Tully. You're like a book of fun facts for unpopular fourth graders. And anime newcomers Studio Ponok go toe-to-toe with Studio Ghibli in the magical animated treat Mary and the Witch's Flower. Tonight, I really am a witch. And for Film Club, it's a fan favourite, a listener recommendation. It's Jonathan Demme's Something Wild. Our accountant would sure wonder what I was doing in a cheap motel in the middle of Jersey on a Friday afternoon. All coming up in Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Yes, it's Michael Leader here, sitting in for AC Jimbo, sitting across from head honcho of Little White Lies, David Jenkins. Hello, David. Hi there. And Manuel Lazic. Manuel, welcome. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. So first, a bit of follow-up from last week on... The Avengers from Liam. What's that? I've never heard of that. <laughs> it's a little movie that came out last week. Did you not see it, you think? No, it's a I, movie that we, has ne- all the actors. Neither, neither of us have seen it, actually. No. And actually, speaking of acting, Manuela, you wrote a piece about acting in the age of the blockbuster. Yeah, I wrote a piece, so obviously I have not seen the movie, but it's a piece about the superhero genre today. So mm. it's not really about that specific movie. And it was about how those films, because they are ensemble movies and because they are super real movies and because they are very expensive and they make a lot of money they end up swallowing up all the talent we have especially in hollywood and uh yeah my piece was kind of criticizing that and that's you can find it on the littlewhitelies.com but uh liam murtagh after the uh i think solid fours and fives across the board from the the crew last week who went to see it. I was all set to send my children to see Avengers of Infinity War whilst my wife and I went to see A Quiet Place. However, these plans changed after listening to your rave review. Such was your praise for this superhero epic that we changed plans so all of us went to see Infinity War. Well, Infinity was well named as the film went on forever and to what end? In the film, Doctor Strange had seen 14 million future scenarios and couldn't you have seen one that, after a 10-year chain of superhero films, had a plot that unfolded over the course of a single film? If you can't tell a story of the beginning, middle and end over the course of two hours, 40 minutes, you don't deserve to be making films. I could have seen A Quiet Place twice over. I should have seen A Quiet Place twice over. That I didn't even see it once is your fault. Well, we have editor David Jenkins here (laughs) to answer. Guilty as charged. Well, should we offer a full refund? And (laughs) No, I mean, you know, as with all cinema, you know, you take your chances. You know, you I think that's the whole magic of it is that you go in and you don't know what you're going to get. And uh some things are going to be too long and unwieldy. And I mean, I think I feel for a film like Avengers, Infinity War, there was enough info out there about it 
and possibly alternative conflicting viewpoints and takes on the film mm -hmm. where you could have maybe you know it would have been possible to build a bigger picture of of what it is you're going to go and see but it's always I, a risk it is always a risk it is always a risk and you know like I don't know if you've seen A Quiet Place yet but you could end up going and hating it and feeling mm -hmm. you've wasted 90 minutes because that's the game it baby the game. Yeah, I know people who have so you know I, I was exactly the same A Quiet Place became this word of mouth hit and I went along on a Wednesday evening actually the same week I saw Tully and was very underwhelmed really mm. by it whereas I wasn't it, overwhelmed yeah whereas Avengers after having almost a 50-50 hit rate with the Marvel Cinematic Universe to date I loved it. I really did. I was more invested than ever. I tend to go for the the little kind of side project films mm. over the big kind of central core films, like the Avengers ones being the absolute pits for me. Like the first Avengers film, I found unwatchable. Mm. Like yeah, so so bad. But like that's well, personal preference yeah. always. But. Well, Liam, you're you're not alone with your view there, and uh, hopefully we'll fare better this week with our films. Speaking of which, we're going to start with Tully, which um, is the third collaboration between director Jason Reitman and writer Diablo Cody after Juno and Young Adult, the latter of which also starred Charlize Theron. And we have a clip to listen to. You seem like a great mom. <laughs> great moms organize class parties and casino night. They bake cupcakes that look like minions. All the things I'm just too tired to do. Honestly, even getting dressed just feels exhausting. I open my closet and I just think, didn't I just do this? Yeah, but that's the downside of living on a planet with a short solar day. Although Jupiter's even shorter. You're like a book of fun facts for unpopular fourth graders. So that was Charlize Theron as Marlo, a mum of three, who's overwhelmed by the daily parental grind. That is until Mackenzie Davis... Tully of the, the title comes into her life, a manic pixie dream nanny who uh, whisks away all, all of her problems. Manuela, uh, so set this one up for us. How, how does this fit into the uh, Theron, Cody, Reitman annex? So I found it to be very much a follow-up to Young Adult mm. in that Young Adult was about this woman who's trying to return to who she was when she was younger and full of hope and this one is kind of the same because it's this mother of three who's struggling with her life as a as a very busy mom and uh, she's she's kind of full of regrets even though she's not really admitting it so in that sense it does fit into it but I found Tully to be much less successful than young adults mm. I'm a huge young adult fan mm. when I watched it I was completely surprised because I'm not a fan of Jason Rainman but I found Tully to be just not quite successful and I would say it comes more from the script by Diablo Cody than from Reitman himself. I think okay. Reitman does some really beautiful sequences of um, you know showing how being a mother is difficult but also showing how it's a lot of tenderness towards your kids and how all those two things are in the balance at all times and his use of music is really nice. There's a really fun sequence when Marlowe goes to New York one mm. night and it's really refreshing and really fun and respectful because I found that sometimes Jason Reitman is a bit too cynical because mm -hmm. this film is very cynical and Young Adult was as well. But um, yeah, I think on the script level, I think the the sort of mystery sets up is not successful at all and you can kind of predict it from the start. And even if you don't, when, it, when you find out what... 
is going on. It's not fun. It's not mm -hmm. exciting. And it feels just really wrapped up very fast at the end. And that's where it does depart a bit from Juno and Young Adult, which mm. are almost flips of the same coin in terms of it's Diablo Cody's very spiky, observational, but slightly heightened and stylized dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. But they're both character pieces mm. um, about a certain stage in life. Yeah. Whereas this one does have this sense of mystery, which we can't go into for fear of spoilers. But mm. even if you see the trailer, there's this other shoe that you're waiting to drop about this strange, almost uh, supernatural figure that comes into her yeah. life. That's Mackenzie whoa, Davis. Whoa, there. Yeah. Whoa, close. <laughs> But it's a bit like it touches on, you know, fantasy a lot more, mm -hmm. which could work. You know, it's like I'm, I have no problem with sort of magical reason and stuff like that in like fantasy world. But I don't I don't think the film reconciles that, you know, gritty reality of being a mom with mm -hmm. uh, her, you know, like the fantasy aspect. I'm not going to say anything more because I, I know I'm like on a very fine line yeah. here. But yeah, but I think Charlize Theron is amazing. I'm a huge fan and I think she's always delivering the goods. And again, she's doing that thing where, you know, she knows she's gorgeous, but she's going against that. Mm -hmm. So there's a moment when she's sitting at the table with her kids and her youngest son drops a glass of water on her. And so she's so tired that she literally just takes her T-shirt off and mm -hmm. she's in her bra. And, you know, she looks she's not skinny at yeah. all because she's and just the had a child. The daughter says... Why yeah. do you look like that, mommy? Yeah, she said, what happened to your body? <laughs> and, it's, and it's very, yeah, like I, I admire her willingness to go there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she's still beautiful, obviously, but, you know, she's willing to admit that she's getting older. Yeah. How did this land with you, David? Sorry to be like Davy Downer again, but I'm not a massive Jason Reitman uh, follower or lover. I find his films very cynical and they're very kind of, he, he has this kind of thing about, introducing us a person or a character who is maybe superficially unlikable and then mm. sort of desperately trying to show why we should empathize with them or, or like them for something maybe bad that they're doing. One of my kind of lowlights of my film watching career in the 21st century mm. was the film Up in the Air, which I think is a, <laughs> right. a monstrous film. But yeah, this one, this one I found quite interesting for like maybe 20 minutes mm. at the beginning because it starts off as a, as a portrait, a character portrait and He's basically showing you the process of what it's like to have a third child and be, you know, in a sort of lower income bracket as well mm -hmm. and, and feel a little bit like disappointed with what you've achieved in your life. And it's just very simple, you know, just show, showing what happens, what interactions are like, what it means to be staying up at night, what it means to change nappies over and over mm -hmm. again, what, what it's like to have a sort of slightly passive, neglectful spouse and and just dealing with it, you know. And then something happens and the film pivots at that point to become something slightly different. And it just lost me then. It just right. it it all seemed very kind of contrived and silly and you, you kind of feel that something's up. It just reveals that it's not this kind of honest, sincere film that's interested in the mundane things mm -hmm. that people have to do to get through their lives. It's actually quite cynical and mm. negative about them it's actually these are really boring things let's remember the exciting times and it feels like it's very kind of critical of being poor it's very critical of having to deal with children and bring children up and sort of the sex lives of poor people mm -hmm. and, uh, it's another sort of Diablo Cody Jason Reitman you know 
It, there's such a tension at the heart of this film, both on a screenplay level and the way it's been you know, directed. There's, as you say, this very simple observational goal of, of showing life as it is, the, the mundanities and so on, but then this cynicism in all directions. You talk about how, it, how there's this cynicism about poor people and your lot in life and realising mm-hmm. in your 40s that this is the path you've, been, you've gone down. But then the characterisation of the people who have got it good is, I think, quite clunkily yeah. cynical it as is, well. It is mm. very ridiculous it's like you you visit their house it is the most kind of obvious and like shoddy kind of characterizations Mm -hmm. of like they've got ipods everywhere and they've got like you know they're feeding their kids sushi and you know they're they're always talking about a new piano and it's it's all just like what's the most obvious depiction of like nouveau riche americans that we could create and uh, that actually it's just rubbing salt in the wound. Well, the, the, the line that one of those characters utters is during this um, nouveau riche dinner party, they just shout into their phone, Siri, play hip-hop. Yeah, which yeah, is yeah. almost <laughs> just this sort of damning <laughs> characterization. They don't even know what mm. they want to listen to. Mm. They're going for a but genre. It, it's interesting. I really thought it was going to you know, go around on that because that rich guy is Marlo's brother and I thought you know, he's trying to help her. So I thought maybe eventually the film would you know, kind of make a comment on how Sure, like money makes a difference, but also if you're a good person, you can be like, I thought it was going to be much more progressive than that, but it just isn't. It sets up this dynamic and it tries to make the character of a brother played really well uh, by Mark Duplass mm. as kind of this a bit more complex guy than he seems, but turns out that no one cares about this. Like mm-hmm. in the end, when everything is solved, he's not there. Like it doesn't matter. And it's such a disappointment. And. I do think that Charlize Theron and Mackenzie Davis do work together on screen quite well, even if sometimes the situations become more contrived as they go on. And I almost thought there's a central sequence of the film where it almost is Diablo Cody's version of Noah Baumbach's While We're Young, where there's this middle-aged sort of former Gen Xer just staring agog at this together millennial who Mm. seems to have it all figured out, have all the perspectives, just be a natural earth mother um, as well. But then it doesn't really go in that direction, doesn't really go in any of these directions that it sets up. Mm. Uh, I think the film is much more interested in its uh, sort of narrative twist thing than in the actual topics he's exploring mm-hmm. on the way. Like, it doesn't really care about the money aspect. It doesn't really care about the motherhood thing. Mm. Like, it uses difficult maternity as a trope in a very icky way. I think this film has already been criticised by by parents as being incredibly irresponsible about the way it depicts certain parents' reactions to having kids. Like, it's, it's using it as such a fun cynical trope when mm-hmm. it's a very serious matter like mm-hmm. having kids and and throughout the film I liked the first 20 minutes as you were saying because I was constantly on edge and mm. I think that was on purpose because I was scared that you know something would happen to the babies or something yeah. and that's fine but then the film doesn't really doesn't earn that ever mm-hmm. it's very uncomfortable it's true it could just be more boring <laughs> you know like yeah. it, being more boring could also mean that it's more like empathetic mm. yeah, and, yeah. It's, and it's more kind of humane it just felt like an awkward halfway house for me between an observational yeah. kitchen sink almost drama versus something that could have been more heightened and stylized in different hands mm. really, I think for, for instance Diablo Cody's uh, Jennifer's Body yeah succeeds so well at being like a fantasy thing while still being you know saying interesting real things about about, you know, being a teenager and things mm-hmm. like that. But it's so much more successful because it's so much more unapologetic mm-hmm. and bold. 
Yeah. Shall we give some scores to this then, Manuel? Sure. I mean, Anticipation, I was really excited for it. I would say four because I really mm. loved Young Adults. Enjoyment, no, I would say two. It really drags as well. It's only an hour 36, but it feels long. Mm. And in retrospect, yeah, two. I, I'm really disappointed. Davey? I was probably say I'm a, I was a little less Anticipation. I remember not loving Young Adult, but in, in my memory of it is actually probably... It felt a bit subversive, that film. Like, it was mm. doing some quite interesting things and going to some interesting places where I think this film doesn't do that. So I'm probably going to say, like, two or three for anticipation. Maybe two, because I just don't really like Jason Reimer at all. For that first 20 minutes, it's probably going to get a mark. So two and two. Two's mm-hmm. across the board for me on this one. Well, personally, I loved Young Adult, really. One of my favourite films of, of that year. Mm-hmm. Um, although since then... Reitman has made Labor Day and Men, Women and Children real missteps of films. So probably Anticipation 3, I'd say Enjoyment 3, it's a short film at least, and then probably Fading in Memory in retrospect, but then also the turns it takes that don't really pay off. So yeah, 3, 3, 2. Sally could also be called Men, Women and Children. It could. Yes. He could turn it into a series, Men, Women and Children. I think any film could be called Men, Women and Children. And, it, and maybe and it should. And Infinity War? Well, men, yeah. men, women and children. I'm not sure if the next film we're talking about could be called Men, Women, Children. It's more girl, cat and broomstick. Yes. Oh. So <laughs> nice link. Exactly. So we'll, we're now going from Tully to Mary and the Witch's Flower. Come on, Peter, let's go. Mary, stop. Everyone knows you're not supposed to go into the woods on misty days. I found it in the woods. The Witch's Flower. They only bloom once every seven years. They say witches used to seek it out. Ah! What is going on? Ah! Ah! Tonight, I really am a witch. Mary and the Witch's Flower. This is a Japanese animated film from a new studio called Studio Ponok, adapting a kid's fantasy novel, The Little Broomstick, by Mary Stewart. Uh, It's about a young girl who one day ventures into the woods and finds a broomstick and a magical flower that grants her powers and whisks her away to uh, a school of wizardry. David, how should we look at this film? It's from a new studio, but they're all pros. What do you think? Yeah, it's interesting. It feels like a kind of transitional film in the the sort of Japanese anime world, or I guess that kind of post-Studio Ghibli output, which is now going to be, I guess, coming a bit more regularly... um, yeah, this is by the director of who did films for Ghibli, Julia mm. Ghibli, um, Arietti, and uh, when Marnie was there, and it feels very much of a piece with those films. Mm-hmm. It's about a young female protagonist and her kind of adventures in a kind of slightly fantasy world. And they, it's definitely set in the UK. It's, yeah. uh, it's it's one of those strange heightened and fantastical versions of the UK that you get from those Japanese films. It has that kind of love of kind of Anglophile culture, European culture. Ruby Barnhill who does the voice of the lead actor has quite a thick accent and it's kind of lovely to hear that and you've got Kate Winslet as well as, as the kind of baddie and Andy Serkis' son Andy Serkis' well. son plays Peter and uh, Jim Broadbent as well so they've, yeah. they've, they're all doing very kind of thick English accents and mm. it's, it works really well so yeah it's, it's about this little girl and she ventures out into the woods and she's a bit bored on her summer holidays and she finds this flower and uh, picks it and uh Next thing she knows, this this old broomstick that she that she finds springs to life and transports her into a kind of nearby netherworld. 
Can you have a nearby netherworld? I think you can. It's a sort of like <laughs> feels weird it. alternative <laughs> reality that is like a, an entirely new galaxy that is actually only a few minutes by broom mm-hmm. from her from her from her little kind of cottage, and it turns out to be a kind of in the sky academy for upstart witches of a very kind of Harry Potter. It's, very it, Harry it's, Potter. it's a very very kind of female spin on Harry Potter, although it. It uses animation in an interesting way to actually, you know, it's 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 far more kind of eccentric and has sort of like these surreal splotches throughout of mm-hmm. you know monster design and various kind of bits and bobs. Like much of Studio Ghibli, it has a kind of eco theme as well because mm. uh, one of the discoveries that happens it involves the, the sort of animal population and. Uh, I had an enjoyable time watching this film. Mm. I wouldn't say it's probably up there with any of the, the Studio Ghibli films quite. It's maybe got a bit of refining to do. Mm. I think what, what, what the, the thing that I love about Ghibli films is they sometimes take quite small stories and give them this sense of epic scale. Mm-hmm. Even a film like My Neighbor Totoro, which is like, you know, one of my all-time favourites, it's this tiny, tiny tale. Like, you know, nothing happens. It's a girl who runs off and is found again. But it somehow manages to bring in the weight of the world and a, a real sense of like life or death. Mm-hmm. Whereas this film, I don't think, manages to do that. It was quite slight in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, well, certainly slight. And I have to be very careful because I'm such a I'm so deep in this world of anime that I can very easily go way too deep for our conversation purposes. But uh, over the years, for almost 20 years now, the, the animation industry over there has been searching for the next Miyazaki. And every time a new film comes out or a new filmmaker comes to term, they're saying, is he going to be the new Miyazaki? Mm-hmm. And Hiromasa Yonobayashi, who's been around at Studio Ghibli you know, for probably 15 years before 2014 when they closed down, when both of their main, you know, their main heads retired, they shot out on their own and made this company. And what's astounding about this film, and what almost stops me from being able to view it objectively as a film, is that it's almost a greatest hits package of everything that you expect from a Studio Ghibli film, made from not only one of the directors of those movies, but nearly all of their animation staff was poached from the offices of Studio Ghibli once they turfed them all out, mm-hmm. sent them on their merry way. It absolutely does feel like an yeah, like a, a kind of... We know we're taking this new route now. We know, mm-hmm. you know, we don't want it to look like we're kind of against you. Mm-hmm. So we're going to make this kind of grand homage for the fans. You know, it's you know, absolutely. There's like references to pretty much every single I mean, Ghibli I, film. Rewatching this film yesterday, there are specific sequences at the very beginning where Mary is waking up and looking out her window messing with her hair in the mirror. It's exactly the same as the beginning of Kiki's Delivery Service, which is the sort of little witch hits out on her own Studio Ghibli film from the late 80s. And then also Howl's Moving Castle and Spirited Away and so on. It's all represented in this film in a very homage, montage kind of way without really finding its own identity. The animation, I think, is top-notched compared to nearly all of its competitors, you know, its peers mm. today, in Japan at least. However... It doesn't have that wisdom that Miyazaki had, that easy wisdom of storytelling, sewing together themes or showing children in this extraordinary circumstances finding their own way. Um, it's not quite there in this one, really. There's a sort of sequence right at the beginning of the film where a witch is being chased away by these kind of weird flying monsters mm-hmm. that when you see them, you instantly would link them to the world of Studio Ghibli, like the shape and the and the way they fly and the sounds they make. And you do feel straight away, right, I'm back in that world. Mm-hmm. But it never quite does anything with them beyond... They feel more kind of 
you know, pictorial, superficial. They're mm-hmm. just they're, they're there as part of the the background rather than like integral to a story. Which I think one of the things that Miyazaki managed to do was actually kind of tangle all these things together. They weren't just kind of bits over here and bits over here and these over here. You know, mm. it, it wasn't just like for show. Everything had a meaning. I think. Yeah, what it reminds me of actually is it's almost like when the Star Wars films were taken on by a new generation and wrested from George Lucas, who was a guy bringing in all of these influences into his own vision, which is what Miyazaki did. He makes Japanese animation, but is drawing from quite um, obscure English language children's books and experiences wandering around Wales or Northern Europe, and it forms this style that's completely his own. And now you have a generation that's just copying that or homaging that, and it's a funny film. From what you've said just now, it sounds like... A Ready Player One, but for Studio Ghibli. <laughs> like, it's full of references yeah. that people will like, but it doesn't really understand them at a deep level or it doesn't use them to their fullest potential. But I haven't seen it, so it's just mm. my... I wouldn't have instantly grabbed for that, but it, it totally makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you know what? I wouldn't say that the references in this film come in the same way as they mm. do in, in Ready Player One. Mm-hmm. They're not in, as like, in quote marks with yeah. like capital letters. They're a bit more kind of like woven into the into the fabric of the film. Um, I'd probably give it a four. Just I'm, anything that's associated with this world, I'm I'm just excited to see and I, mm. and I love and and probably threes for enjoyment and in retrospect because. I had a nice time with it, but there was a nagging sense of wanting more. And I think it is that kind of the legacy of, of Ghibli has, has set the bar so, mm-hmm. you know, insanely high that it's going to be hard to watch these films now and take them on their own terms and value them for what they're, what they're doing themselves rather than how they're comparing to the greats. So, mm-hmm. And for that reason, I'm probably not going to be running back to it. No. You know, For me, my anticipation could be higher for something like this. Of course, I'm going to be there. Um, not only because I've followed this filmmaker throughout his Ghibli career, but also any animation that's getting this size of a release, I'm, my seat is guaranteed. So five in anticipation. It was a dazzling film. It, I, I went on a journey with it on a level of animation. So four, enjoyment. And But I'm, I agree with you, I'm not going to rush back to see this. So probably three in retrospect. And that was Mary and the Witch's Flower. Would you go out and see that, Manuel, do you think? You're an animation yeah. fan? I, I like animation. I'm not very uh, knowledgeable of it but mm-hmm. it sounds sweet so I might <laughs> I mean it might be something for those who aren't familiar with the Ghibli canon it could be right. a nice little kind of you know gateway drug you know yeah. but those films are all also in cinemas up and down the country all the time or they're on Blu-ray and DVD or on that TV so it's one of those situations where do you want to go and see Ready Player One or should you go and watch an 80s movie it's, right you know right the answer is <laughs> Ready Player One is the, the Rosetta Stone for all film criticism now it, basically and speaking of 80s movies we're going to go back to the 80s for Film Club for a Jonathan Demi special for something There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wild. So Something Wild, as we said earlier, this was uh, something of a, a fan favourite, one that we've had many requests for, including uh, Yeroen Hoban. He wrote in once he heard saying, Yeehaw! I'm so excited you followed through on my film club suggestion for this week. Something Wild is my demi-darling, and it's one of my all-time favourite road movies. Daniels, Jeff Daniels, is so perfect in this, as is Melanie Griffith. Forget about the plot, their chemistry alone is enough to keep me in my seat. Not to mention Ray Liotta in his first big movie role here as the perfect villain. His unpredictability and mean spirit actually reminded me a little of Dennis Hopper's Frank Booth in Blue Velvet. The reason I got into Demi's films is because Paul Thomas Anderson kept going on about him in his interviews, and I can definitely see what he took from his mentor. Both filmmakers have taken on many different genres and styles, and you never really know where they're going to go next. That spontaneous feeling also applies to their stories, which unfold in ways you can't predict. And we're going to listen to a clip where one of the stories is unfolding in an unpredictable way, where we have Jeff Daniels and Melanie Griffith trying to book a room in a motel. Something wrong, Charlie? Maybe it's not such a good idea, you know, getting a room. I mean, don't you have some place we could go? How about your place? <laughs> I can just see the neighbors watching you get out of the car. <laughs> you have money? I mean, for the room. The rest is free. Well, uh, let me check. Uh, well, no, I only got these, you know, these credit cards, which are, you know, company plastic. Our accountant would sure wonder what I was doing in a cheap motel in the middle of Jersey on a Friday afternoon. Use the cash. The, no, I, no, I can't use that. Why? That's money for the Christmas club. Charlie, are you telling me that we're not going to get a room because you're saving money for Christmas presents in the middle of June? So something wild, I must admit I'm a bit of a demi-debutante. I've seen some of his 90s movies, Silence of the Lambs and so on, and his concert movies, most recently, well, his last film, the Justin Timberlake straight-to-Netflix film. But, uh, Davey, are you uh, something of a, a demi-expert? I think I've still got some spots to fill on my sort of demi-auto rewatch schedule. Me too. There was a couple that I caught recently which I, I absolutely loved. Um, I think that currently on Netflix is the film Married to the Mob with Michelle Pfeiffer which, which followed is, this one I think yeah, yeah and it's really funny really mm-hmm. really funny with Matthew Modine as well who is a kind of an actor deserving of more uh, <laughs> attention he, especially in his kind of comedy roles yeah but yeah I mean I guess I know the, the classics mm-hmm. from pretty well I mean, I'm a big fan of Rachel Getting Married as well, yeah. of his more kind of later ones, and obviously the uh, Stop Making Sense, which is the Talking mm. Heads film. And yeah. it, this this film feels very much of a part of that era. Mm-hmm. It's a f- film that we have had 
lots of people just requesting and we sort a, of decided to, to succumb favorite, to it. It's a favourite, isn't it? Is it a favourite of yours, Manuel? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I was lucky to catch a screening of it organised by the Badlands Collective, mm-hmm. uh, I think a couple of years ago maybe. I didn't know anything about it. I knew it was a demi-picture and I knew it had my favourite Jeff Daniels in it and it's absolutely just so charming and it's I think the title Something Wild is so perfect because it is so wild. Like mm-hmm. even if I if you explain the plot, it's it doesn't even make sense. It's very, very crazy. And it's very much a demi picture because it is so much about it has a lot of music, but it's kind of about music in the sense that it's so free and spirited and, and it's it really goes like a song that you like and you don't even know how it works. Mm-hmm. Like it's really so special and I think what that person online said is very true. It's not even about the story. It's much more about the chemistry. Yeah. And it really is about just these two characters, so Charles Driggs, played by Jeff Daniels, and Audrey Hankel, played by Melanie Griffith, having just a crazy chemistry. Yeah. And just, just you know, following on that. But they don't know anything about each other and they just follow through on this. Well, it sort it's of starts crazy. almost like the Scorsese film After Hours. It's this yes. collision of the yuppie world where Jeff Daniels is this guy in a suit and tie and then meets this free-spirited kind of, you expect her to be a sort of downtown art woman. You know, she's got a mm-hmm. Louise Brooks hair, you know, the black bob. And, and she's he, reading a Frida Kahlo book, yeah. a book about her. And she whisks him off on a wild weekend that sort of turns into a road movie, turns into a rom-com, turns into a crime movie, a yeah. thriller. It's hard to pin down, isn't it? Mm. It is. I mean, the thing I love about Jonathan Demi's films, and you know, it's it's hard to sort of say something that covers him, you know, entirely. But there is a sort of like freeness to the way he makes movies, where you're kind of not just in the sort of plots or the characters, but just you know the way he shoots the landscape and the mm. way that the camera will catch a detail off to the side, or the way he uses kind of extras in the background to really give a sense of a place or mm, a, a time, and and the way that he combines that with music as well. He's, it's like, you know, there's a real sense that he's kind of, you know, he's not just making a movie, but he's actually trying to kind of capture an image in his head. And mm. I think this film really is about that, like just, you know, his, you know, just him looking at America mm. as much as it is this kind of mad dash across country that's so true and i think that's re-watching that film yesterday i really realized how much paul thomas anderson was inspired by Jonathan demi because he kind of does the same thing of being at the same time very free and at the same time he knows exactly what he's doing because i think he's free in the sense with his camera in the sense that if something looks great He's going to shoot it in that way that he wants that it will look the best, even if it doesn't really cohere with the rest of the film, because he's just in the moment at every time. And I think Paul Thomas Anderson does that a lot. That's how he manages to catch a, a sense of place so well, because he knows that a place has a lot of going, things going on. There's mm-hmm. like the people doing weird things in the background. There's, there's people singing. There's, uh, you know, people... At some point, Jeff Daniels is waiting by a phone booth and some guy arrives on a bike and he has a dog with yeah. him, or like with a little helmet. And it's so, it doesn't doesn't go anywhere, but it's just true to the reality of the situation because that happens in real life. So many unexpected moments. There's yeah. another bit where there's an establishing shot outside of a house and just a car full of kids drives past blaring New Order out the stereo. It yeah. doesn't go anywhere. You expect the camera to fold them or something, but it's yeah. just a, a little moment. One little moment that I love is when Ray Liotta steals a car and... There's like loads of toys in the car that, yes, 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 yeah. <laughs> that he has to sort of like throw to the side, and it's it's just such a lovely kind of mm. de- lived in detail that mm. kind of you know is is sort of part of I think how Jonathan Demi thinks about taking these very 
process elements of a film a guy gets into a car and steals it and just makes it into something human so yeah, yeah. I kind of love the film without loving it like mm. it's so kind of taking kind of generic ideas of like the rom-com and the thriller and the crime and fusing them together in a way that I've, I find quite kind of you know I think it's trying to sort of repel you a bit mm-hmm. and mm. the sort of tonal shift from very buoyant almost sort of slapstick screwball to this really quite nasty, Very nasty. finale like re- like within the stre- stretch of a single film experiencing those two poles i find quite discomforting and difficult yeah. um i find it interesting more than I, than i find it enjoyable yeah. you know like <laughs> yeah I, I, i'm the same it's and it's the it goes all the way through to the look and feel and sound of the film as well it has this wonderful like mid 80s sort of anything goes postmodern pop art approach to the soundtrack the costumes everything it's all mm-hmm. kind of pretty garish to look at from you know 21st century eyes yeah. but the, the soundtrack in particular where you have david byrne during his sort of world music phase you have laurie anderson and uh, john cale doing the soundtrack a very synthy kind of score but then also reggae and early hip-hop and everything goes and then the feelies who are a sort of almost post-punk almost no wavy kind of jangle band appearing playing the four song set at one point <laughs> mm-hmm. it's you know, everything's mushed together and it's as amazing as you say look into a filmmaker's worldview and into their head mm. but also a bit kind of disorientated that, that's why I like it though like I know it sounds typical of me to say that but I like how it goes from one extreme to the other because I think the film is called Something Why because it's kind of about the character of Jeff Daniels trying to find his wild side mm. without going crazy like the realtor character who's just evil like he's just he reminds me of bob in twin peaks that that's mm. how scary he is so it's all about managing to stay in reality but also you know punching up like towards like more dreamlike things but make them real in your real life so that's why you know that's why he likes to sometimes run out of a restaurant while paying because he likes the thrill of it and that's safe that is not harming anyone and i think that's why the film has those extremes of, you know, slapstick and then kind of horror movie. Basically, that some moments are shot like a horror movie. Because I think it's trying to present how it's difficult to live a dream, mm-hmm. like to live in your fantasy. To, you can't because reality is there always and it's going to drag you down. But that doesn't mean you can't keep trying. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you will, you know, get your nose hurt but that's okay <laughs> you can still go for it I, I find it fascinating that this is pretty much the same time as Blue Velvet coming out because they're that both, makes so much sense they're both criticisms of the breakdown of the, of the American dream mm. but almost one is this nightmarish view and one is this kaleidoscopic dream view of it all yeah optimistic it's maybe worth mentioning as well that at the BFI at the mm. moment there is an entire season of films under the banner of Lost in America and it's a kind of look at the cinema of the Reagan era but this kind of lost generation of of kind of detached teens and mm. people who fell out of the of the kind of Reaganomics dream, you know, mm. of which you know something wild is playing. Yeah. I think he's getting mm. a couple of screenings, sort of mid to late months. So, you know, other films in the season. In fact, Michael and I went on a little date last night to <laughs> to see the the opener of the season. This extraordinary film called Out of the Blue, directed by Dennis Hopper, mm-hmm. about a trucker who causes a, a terrible accident and the film sort of charts his life after that and the life of his daughter and it's kind of how the punk movement 
tips over into the 80s. Mm. One of the other classics, which one of you guys might have seen, that I'm really excited to is River's Edge. River's Edge, yeah. I've not seen it. Keanu Reeves. I haven't seen many of the films in this season. There's also Suburbia, the Penelope Ferris film. Yes. Um, And also uh, Lost in America, the film itself. Albert Brooks Brooks in in a big Winnebago. I'm really keen to see a film called Crossing Delancey by Joan McLean Silver, who is a kind of a much touted female director of mm. of the 80s who who also made another amazing film called Chilly Scenes of Winter really apropos Consider, considering what we're talking about here. So, yeah, that um, runs throughout May at the yes. BFI Southbank down in London if you're within the catchment area. I think we've filled in our opinions on something wild quite well, mm. but should we read out a few more of the listeners' comments? Absolutely. We should, yes. Because I think we've got some pretty good uppercase exclamation mark filled responses here. Yes. Mm. Do you want to go first, uh, Davey? I'll read this uh, letter by Astro Wiz. Something Wild is probably my favourite Jonathan Demi film. It's really marvellous. I remember watching it for the first time several years ago and how surprising I found it, how the tone and pace of the movie shifted in a rewarding way and I I couldn't second-guess how the story was going to unfold. I think I made the mistake of watching the trailer before watching the film for the first time and it really doesn't convey the movie very well at all. Another reply to this film being talked here is from Josh Slater-Williams, who is a contributor to Little Well Eyes. He said, Perhaps the most perfect blend of Demi's penchant for humanism, seamless mood shifts, killer soundtracks and cameos by cult figures and musicians. And I couldn't agree more. And uh, one here from Luna Carmoon. I'm looking forward to the bleep here. <laughs> Sue Tissue, killer costumes, soundtrack queen, Griffith. And her many looks, say no more, heart emoji. Yep. We got quite a few emojis for this one. We got some, uh, how, how do you, you describe that? that? It's like, know. you know. It's the OK you know, sign, it's right? It's the okay, OK sign twice. Yeah. So double OK this film. Is. From Laura Hernando saying, love this film, the fashion, also a soundtrack and two OK signs. That is terrific. So something wild. Is there anything else we want to mention this week, Davey? Yeah, I want to do a quick shout out to a film I really don't want to see kind of fly under the radar. It's called The Dreamed Path by a director called Angela Shalinek, who is currently receiving a bit of a kind of retrospective on Mubi at the moment. Um, She's been making films for 15, 20 years now. And this one has kind of like raised its head above the parapet. She's mainly been confined to the festival circuit, but... This one is really worth catching. Um, it's going to be screening at the Genesis Cinema on the 10th of May. And it's just this kind of very idiosyncratic, weird film where the, this couple are together at the beginning of the film. They're busking in Greece and something happens, which means their lives kind of split apart. And it just does really interesting things with time and space and mm. storytelling and focus on what matters and what doesn't when you're telling a story. And it's quite a kind of technical film in that sense. And it's very challenging, but well worth seeking out if you can. And also, can I just say this one other thing and then yeah. I'll pass over to you. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm hogging. It's all right. I'm hogging. <laughs> um, this is big news, I guess. As of Tuesday, the 8th of May, your regular dose of Truth and Movies is going to be chopped up and spread out like some delicious <laughs> French pâté yes on, on, on a crisp bread um, uh, all three of us and including Adam Woodward and Sophie Monks Kaufman and Elena Lazet we're all going to be heading over to the Cannes Film Festival yeah, right. to report from there and um, we've decided that Instead of one big weekly dose, we're going to be giving you lots of little doses mm-hmm. of Truth of Movies. And we're just going to be telling you what we're seeing. And we wanted to use the opportunity to 
tell you listeners about what you should be looking out for in the future what we see what we like what we don't like and that's pretty much for the next fortnight really indeed this little change listen in and we're going to be trying to read out as much reader correspondence as possible and feedback so let us know what you think so yeah you can send us stuff to uh, truthandmovies at tcolondon.com and there's LW Lies on Twitter there is no film club this week because of that but uh, any any canned tips or uh, canned comments should come through and we can read them out while we're there but Manuela, I guess it's can what's in your future, what you're excited about. Yes, as well. it is indeed. I'm going to be there the whole time as well. It's going to be the best. It's my, what, it's my second. What's your one film that you're it's... most looking forward to? Uh, the one film I'm most looking forward to in Cannes. One film I'm ex- excited to see in Cannes, although he's a bad person, is the uh, last one Trio movie, uh, The House That Jack Built, because it does seem interesting. It's about a serial killer and it's with Matt Dillon, which mm. is interesting. So I'm excited for that. I hope. Lars won't say anything stupid, but that's not my problem. I'm here to watch the movie, so, yeah. <laughs> Do you have one film, Davey? It's, it's an interesting well, year. Yeah, it is an interesting year. It's, it's, it's a weird it's, year. Yeah, it's a strange year. And it, I think it's kind of, the idea is like a, it's a sort of rebirth year. But I've, I've got to say another one, one that I'm looking forward to is, is a more mainstream one. It's, it's a new Spike Lee film called Black Klansman with oh, yes, uh, Adam Driver in. And, yeah, I'm excited for that one. Yeah. I like Spike Lee. And I'm going to stick to form and uh, I'm excited about the anime film called Mirai from Mamoru Hosoda, who did well, Summer Wars and uh, The Girl Who Let Through Time. It, that's premiering in Director's Fortnight and it's uh, unique and groundbreaking because it's the first anime film to ever have its world premiere in Cannes. Oh, wow. So we'll see how that goes. It's a sort of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey family drama. So we'll see how that goes. It's going to be such an interesting year because so many that I expected to be there are not there. Like I wanted mm-hmm. the Brian De Palma to be there. I wanted the Claire Denis to be there and it, they're not. So, yeah, but it's going to be interesting. It leaves it open for surprises. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be a festival discovery. And yeah. so, you know, hopefully our podcast will reflect that. Yes. We shall see. So thank you for joining me today, David Jenkins, uh, Manuel Lazic. Thank you for having me. I've been Michael Leader, and uh, this has been Truth and Movies, a 7 Digital production. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.